Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 77. This is the reading of God's word. For the director of music, for Jedithan of Asaph, a psalm. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal the years when the Most High stretch out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today I'm really excited because we're starting a new series called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And I've been thinking about this series for a while now, especially in the midst of all that's happened this year. You know, it would be an understatement to say that 2020 has been an emotional roller coaster. Most of us have never lived through anything like this, a global pandemic, months of social isolation, an economic shutdown, large-scale civil unrest, all in a span of a few months with no end in sight. And I think many of us are starting to reach an emotional breaking point. And I think we're realizing that we haven't really been equipped to process and navigate all the grief, the loss, the loneliness, the anger and disappointment that have surfaced as a result of all that's been happening. And so we're either repressing it or we're taking it out on ourselves or on other people. You know, the growing number of domestic abuse cases and suicide attempts during this quarantine is staggering. And as I've said before, I don't believe these issues have been caused by the circumstances themselves. I actually think the circumstances have simply exposed what was already there but left unchecked. You know, we've all heard the saying, circumstances don't make a person, they reveal a person. And I think what 2020 has revealed and continues to reveal is just how emotionally unhealthy we are as individuals. You know, a few years ago, I read a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. He's a pastor in New York City, prolific author, and that book changed my life. Uh, at the time, I was experiencing severe burnout, depressive thoughts, and no amount of serving or listening to sermons or spending time in community was helping. 
And this book was like a huge aha moment for me because it helped me to realize that I had reduced my faith to just knowing the right things and doing the right things. That if I just had enough information and theology, that if I just did more service projects or went on more mission trips, that somehow that would translate to spiritual maturity. And yet even after having attended church my entire life, I realized that I still had no idea how to process anger, how to process sadness or hurt, how to deal with relational conflict and hidden shame. And this book helped me to uncover so many of these things that I just never dealt with because I thought they weren't important. And what I began to see and experience firsthand was that emotional health was absolutely essential to discipleship. And now I believe that as a church, if we want to engage in the work of racial justice for the long haul, uh, if we don't just want our marriages and our relationships to survive this pandemic, but to thrive in the midst of it, then it has to begin with our hearts. And this is basically the premise of Scazzaro's book that he actually continues to develop in a follow-up book called The Emotionally Healthy Church, which is what this sermon series is based on. And as I've been talking to many of you these past few months, as I've been praying for our church and thinking through ways we can use this unique season wisely, I just felt like a series on emotional health was so timely that it would be so helpful for us as we navigate just such a wide spectrum of emotions, uncertainty and anxiety about the future, anger around issues of justice, loneliness from being isolated from our loved ones, fear and hopelessness that things won't ever return to normal. And as messy as it can be to confront these emotions, I actually can't think of a better time than now to do this series, especially when we aren't as busy as we used to be, when we actually have the time and space to reflect and process so that when life does return to some level of normalcy, we're better equipped as a church to handle the emotional toll of living in a broken world. Okay, so for the next couple months, uh, we're actually gonna go through the principles found in Scazzaro's book, one at a time. And what I'll be doing is preaching from selected texts throughout scripture that I think get to the heart of each principle. Now, what I wanna make very clear from the very beginning is that the goal of this series is not to give us a list of things to do to become emotionally healthy. This is not gonna be one of those pep talks. This is not gonna be one of, the, one of those 10 steps to free your soul kind of things. What I hope this series will do for us is simply help us identify and express our emotions in such a way that allows the gospel to speak to us where we are in order that we might be transformed to look like Jesus. Now today is kind of the introduction to this series and the reason I chose a psalm for our text is that the book of Psalms in general is packed full of emotion. You see joy, you see anger, you see fear, you see anxiety. I don't think it's an accident that it's the longest book of the Bible. And by putting these songs and prayers at the very center of his holy word, I believe God is reminding us that we aren't just called to worship him with our heads and our hands. We're actually called to worship him with our hearts. And so as we unpack Psalm 77 together this morning, my hope is that we would begin uh, to be opened up to the work of the Spirit as we embark on this journey toward emotional health together. Because I think Psalm 77 is kind of like a blueprint for what emotionally healthy spirituality looks like manifested in the life of a believer. Okay, so let's dive right in. The first thing we see here is that this psalm is written by a man named Asaph, 
one of King David's chief worship leaders who penned some of the most well-known psalms in the Bible. So we're not just talking about a new believer here. We're talking about someone who's been walking with the Lord his entire life. We're talking about someone who by all accounts would be considered spiritually mature. And yet this is how the psalm opens. It says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. I actually love the message translation of this verse. It says, I yell out to my God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. You know, typically, someone who yells continuously at the top of his or her lungs would not be considered mature. You know, this is something I might expect from my kids, but certainly not a grown adult. Because we live in a culture that often equates being unemotional with being mature. We've been taught that being overly emotional means we're weak. We generally look at people who are very expressive, who cry and yell a lot, and we say, whoa, calm down there. And then we look at people who never seem to get sad or angry or distressed, and we say, man, that person is such a rock, such a great leader, never gets shaken up. Those of us who are married or who have siblings or who've ever gotten into an argument with a friend, we know that it's usually the people who can keep their emotions in check that end up winning the arguments. Because the calmer one person is, the crazier the other person looks. And yet here in Psalm 77, the first thing that comes out of this spiritually mature man's mouth is I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Notice he repeats himself. And whenever you see repetition of words or phrases in Hebrew, it's signaling an intensity of emotion. So what we see here is that uh, emotional health is not about avoiding emotion, it's about embracing it fully. God is giving us permission to feel, permission to feel angry, to feel disappointed, to feel grief. Contrary to popular belief, it's not a sign of strength to say, I don't feel these things. You know, even when we look at the life of Jesus, we often think he was this calm, unemotional guru. But when you actually read through the Gospels, that's not the picture of Jesus that's painted at all. We see a grieving Jesus who weeps over the death of his close friend. We see an angry Jesus who regularly rebukes the religious elite, calling them a brood of vipers. We see an emotionally exhausted Jesus who has to withdraw by himself from the crowds to rest and to refuel. You see, we often forget that Jesus was not only fully God, but fully human. He laughed. He cried. He struggled. Jesus felt every emotion you and I have ever felt, and not only did he feel them, he expressed them openly and honestly. Now, I want to make a distinction here between emotion and emotionalism, because it's very easy to get the two mixed up, okay? Emotions are good. Emotions are a fundamental part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Emotions are given to us as a gift to allow us to experience and worship God to the fullest. Now, emotionalism is when emotions become the end in and of themselves. When we begin to seek a feeling or an experience rather than God himself. When our emotions begin to define us and dictate our actions. You see, the moment we make an emotion or feeling the goal, we begin to evaluate everything based on how it makes us feel. If a sermon doesn't make us cry, it's not a good sermon. 
If the music doesn't move us to the core, must not be good music. And if you take this mindset to the extreme, this is when your emotions begin to rule you. You justify losing control because it feels good to get something off your chest. You justify cutting other people down and making them feel small because you're just letting off steam and you're telling it like it is. You see, there's a fine line between allowing ourselves to feel and expressing our emotions in a God-honoring way and allowing our emotions to become gods in and of themselves that rule over us. Well, if that's the case, how do we express our emotions in a God-honoring way? I mean, if you read through Psalm 77, it doesn't seem like Asaph holds back any punches. I mean, is this prayer really God-honoring? I mean, in verses 7 to 10, you get this barrage of questions one after the other. He says, will the Lord reject me forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Asaph is basically hurling accusation after accusation at God. I thought you said your love was unfailing. I thought you said your promises were true. I thought you were merciful and compassionate. Why are you doing this to me? But you see, he's complaining about God to God. Notice what it says in verse 2. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. Who is he expressing his emotion toward? He's expressing it to God. It's the simplest of principles at the hardest of applications. Because the moment we begin to feel upset or anxious or depressed, most of us do one of two things. One, we either repress our feelings, we try to forget they exist, just turn on Netflix, just open up a bottle of scotch, just try to escape at all costs. Or two, we take it out on ourselves or those around us. We begin to blame shift. We victimize ourselves. We become hypercritical. We condemn and we lash out, not realizing that the primary issue is within us. But you see, Asaph expresses his emotions to God. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Even when he says in verse 4, you kept my eyes from closing, I was too troubled to speak. He's simultaneously blaming God for his sleepless nights while acknowledging that God is the only one who can do something about his situation. You know, many of us today are feeling what Asaph is feeling. Those of us who've lost loved ones. Those of us who aren't sure if our businesses are going to make it. Those of us who have no idea how the heck we're going to work while our kids stay at home in the fall. And Psalm 77 is reminding us it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be frustrated. But express those frustrations to God. You see, this is what it looks like to be emotionally healthy. It's not that you don't have doubts. It's that you learn how to doubt faithfully and faithfully doubt. The fact that even in his wrecked emotional state, Asaph is complaining to God is in and of itself an act of faith. Now, halfway through the psalm, right after Asaph raises these questions, something strange happens. We see a shift. 
And it has nothing to do with his circumstances. Uh, for all we know, his circumstances have not changed at all. And yet in verse 10, it says this, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. In other words, Asaph is saying, I've acknowledged how I feel. I've expressed myself to God. And now I'm going to make a conscious choice to remember the deeds of the Lord. And notice he says it twice. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles. As if to mirror the intensity of emotion that we saw at the beginning of the song. He's saying, as much as I've yelled, as much as I've cried, now I will remember what God has done. And then beginning in verse 13 to the very end of this psalm, this is exactly what he does. He begins to recount the story of the Exodus, the redemption of God's people, the splitting of the Red Sea. Verse 19 says, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. In the course of this one psalm, Asaph moves from subjective emotion to objective truth. The entire first half of the psalm is Asaph opening up to God, telling him how he feels. And then the entire second half of the psalm is Asaph reminding himself of the facts that God has always been faithful. He's always been good and loving and you need both. Sometimes as Christians, we jump to the truth without letting ourselves or others feel. When someone comes up to us and says, you know what, I'm going through a difficult time. You know what we say? We say things like, but God works all things for the good of those who love him. We give them objective truth and that's great. But we know that doing that rarely works because people need space to feel. And you see, we worship a God who doesn't just tell us what he does. We worship a God who grieves with us. A God who sits with us when we doubt. A God who understands exactly what we're feeling because he's felt it too. You know, in Mark 14, um, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he's betrayed. And in verse 33, it says, Jesus found himself deeply distressed and troubled. And yet Jesus doesn't hold it in. He doesn't act like it's fine. In the very next verse, he turns to his closest friends and he says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He acknowledges his emotions. And then you know what he does? He expresses them to God. In verse 36, he cries out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He says, I really don't want to do this. I'm scared, but not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus, the most emotionally healthy person to ever walk the earth, is mirroring the movement found in Psalm 77. And we know how this story unfolds. Shortly thereafter, he would be arrested, tried, and then crucified. And on the cross, Jesus would experience an emotional pain that none of us could possibly comprehend or understand. The soul-crushing pain of being separated from the Father himself. Why? All so that you and I might be brought near to God through his blood. 
And friends, this is the story that you and I must recount, rehearse, and recall every chance that we get because it is the only pathway to emotional health. You know, culture would have told this psalmist that around verse 12, you need to get yourself together. You need to start thinking positive thoughts. You need to do A, B, and C. And yet Asaph knows the answer to his emotional pain isn't in himself. It's in the character of God. It's in who God is and what he's done. You see, this is why we gather every Sunday. Because we need to root our emotions in the truth of Jesus' extraordinary love for us. He is both the ends and the means by which we become emotionally healthy. And so friends, let's first name our emotions. If we're angry about the state of our nation right now, let's acknowledge that. If we're scared to lose our livelihood, let's acknowledge that. But like Asaph, let's also appeal to the truth of who God is and what he's done through the person and work of Jesus. So that in times like these, even when circumstances are dire, that we would rest in his faithfulness, love, and mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, many of us are emotionally hurting right now. We feel exposed. We feel naked and ashamed. But we pray that the love of Christ would wash over us and remind us that you accept us exactly as we are. Lord, give us the humility and courage to face our brokenness, knowing that doing so will ultimately lead us into your loving arms. We thank you, and we trust you with our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.